Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. So it feels like maybe, just maybe, the weather has finally broken and we're coming into the colder time. But it's a time that isn't just cold, it's also a time for warmth, right? For fires and sweaters and hot cocoa. Each season brings its own challenges and rewards. Each day brings its own challenges and rewards. We rejoice and we grieve all at the same time. The web of life of which we are a part, that interdependent web that we talk about in our seven principles, means that indeed we are all connected and that all of life, the ups and the downs, come together to create a wholeness and a fullness. And when we tell the stories of our lives together, when we celebrate new life and we grieve losses together, when we let ourselves feel the fullness of what it means to be human, we are honoring that complex and eternal web. And so this morning we do this. We honor what is, who we are, who we are becoming, and we remember the power of communities like this that hold us on our journeys. Every Sunday that we gather, we take time in our service to be together in silence for each of us This time offers a different opportunity. Some of us take this time for deep breathing, others for prayer, others for quiet reflection. It's an important time, apart and away from the noise and the rush of the world. It's a time for us to breathe deeply alongside our fellows and focus on what matters most. And sometimes like today, it's a time for also us to lift up events of deep importance to members of our community. So this morning, I would like to ask you to take a big, deep breath in slowly, to keep breathing in our lives, joy and sorrow can coexist, just as cold and warmth can coexist. In the same day, we can know the pain and grief of death and the joy of new life, and it is one of the central challenges of being human. This morning, even as we celebrate the new life, Theo, that joins in our beloved community, we also mourn the loss of Elizabeth Ortiz, daughter of Will and Libby, Elizabeth died this past Thursday morning, surrounded by the love of her family and friends. And today, this morning, and in all the days and weeks to come, this community holds Will and Libby in love, offering our blessings and prayers to them as they grieve their loss. Our thoughts and our hearts in this time of quiet are with all those around this wide world who celebrate joys and mourn losses side by side, who worry about the state of their nations, who struggle to make just choices, 
who are working ever to become. In the silence, we meditate, we reflect, we pray as our own hearts call us. May each of us always know places that hold the complex stories of our lives with compassion and care. May we always know places that hold us as we are and as we keep journeying. So may it be. Amen. I've always loved that reading that was done during the dedication. I had it read at the dedication of my oldest child. It really gets at that notion that our children are not ours, that we raise them, we guide them as we are able, but they don't belong to us. It's an ideal that can actually be pretty hard to embody, the belief that a child's path has to be their own, that we can't shield them from all things and we can't control what their genetics will dictate or who they will encounter, what joys and sorrows will be theirs. It's a beautiful reminder to try and see each child for the unique and incredible being that they are. This past Friday, some dear old friends of mine came up to New York from Philadelphia. They drove up with their two daughters, and they stayed overnight on Friday, and on Saturday we had a big adventure in the city. But when the kids all woke up on Saturday morning, I was struck by their pajamas. This is a group of children ranging in age from 3.5 to 7 years old, and everybody had on long sleeves and long pants because the weather has turned. But there were my boys in construction jammies and dinosaur jammies and night sky with aliens and spaceship jammies, all in shades of gray and yellow and black and white. And my friend's daughters were dressed in purples and pinks, one with a shirt that said, wake me when I'm famous. This friend of mine and I are both liberal, progressive, deeply committed to the rights of all people to be who they are, but here were these five kids in pretty stereotypically gendered pajamas, likely all bought from the same big kids clothing store. Since having kids, I've noticed the aisles of toy stores. I don't know how many of you go into toy stores, but they are super gendered in ways I don't remember from my own childhood, actually. And for that reason and many others, I will not take my children into toy stores. Last year, if you were here when Katie Byron came to preach, she talked about gender reveal parties, how that's still a thing where you explode pink or blue or the frosting is pink or blue inside a cake. We don't just do it to children. If you listen to the radio or watch television around the holidays, Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day, you will see unbelievably stereotyping ads, right? Jewelry for the women and power tools for dad. We have these methods of pigeonholing and boxing each other in. And so I can have the deep commitments to a liberal message that I have, and there are still other messages from kids at school, from ads out in the world, from clothing companies, and even, again, the subtle ones from me because I bought those jammies. Our children are not our own to direct and mold in our image. Khalil Gibran is right. And more than that, we also just, we can't control it. Something happens the minute they encounter the outside world. In other words, from the minute they're born. As Unitarian Universalists, we are very clear that we want to honor and celebrate and welcome and embrace every person as they are. And we are also clear that we believe in the possibility of every person to continue growing. 
not just the possibility, the necessity. We believe in the journey that each of us is on, the lifelong journey of deepening our spirits and hearts, of uncovering our most sincerely held beliefs about God and life, of growing our capacity for love and compassion. It's a tenuous balance, a sensitive one, to say all at the same time, you are perfect with all of your imperfections and missteps, and you can become even more, ever deeply, your truest self. And then we have to layer onto that sensitive balance the fact that all the time, every day, out there, are messages declaring that we aren't perfect or beloved, or that we can't grow, or to be more precise, maybe we can't grow the ways that we want to. I'm not actually going to ask you to raise your hands, but I would ask you to consider if ever in the world you were given the message that you weren't enough, <laughs> that your being wasn't beautiful, valued, important, worthy of love. I'm guessing that every single person in this room has received that message at least once in their lifetime or interpreted that message from the world around you. The societal understanding of what is beautiful or smart or fun or engaging is pretty narrow. And probably many of us had parents who had narrow visions of what was acceptable or normal. The affirmation of our beings as we are is not something most of the world is committed to. But it's something deeply held here. It's something I'm deeply committed to. The affirmation spoken to you often and hopefully spoken among you often that your being is needed and wanted and beloved, that your being in the world is infinitely valuable, that you have a place and gifts and worth and dignity. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I would ask you to consider if ever in the world you were given the message that you couldn't become something. Maybe it had to do with career stuff, or with who you love, or with parenting, or with character traits that you wanted to embody, or with gender expression. I'm guessing that many of us, if not all of us, have felt pushed or pulled at times along our path as we have become. Those same narrow structures have given many of us the feeling that we couldn't choose certain futures, couldn't fully become ourselves, because to do so would be to walk outside the norm. But that same affirmation of your being extends to an affirmation of your becoming. Here we believe that you can become, that there's a path, not that you are destined to walk down in some kind of faded sense, but a path that can lead to your deepest and truest self, the self you are meant to uncover. Here we believe that you can uncover that and you can recover and discover who you are. All the time we are confronted with messages that undermine our being and interrupt our becoming. And here we strive for something else. We aren't perfect at it, I know that. But we strive for it. And in the wider world, we can see glimpses of it. We can see certain pockets and places and ways that others are embracing being and becoming. And yet there are still so many places and so many ways in which others are trying to shut down the affirmation of being and the openness of becoming. We see it in the desecration of the rights of Native peoples in this country to vote, 
We see it in the continuing disproportionate violence against transgender people, particularly transgender people of color. We see it in the ongoing racism and oppression of people of color in this country. We see it all over. And the fact that we see it all over makes it that much more important that we, here in this room, carry everywhere with us the commitment to honoring people as they are. Both the things that they can't change and the choices they make, so long as those choices don't harm others, and honoring the full range of who they might become in the future, whether they are newborn children or in their later years. Everyone is still becoming. Margaret J. Wheatley wrote our other reading this morning. It comes from her book, Who Do We Choose to Be?, written largely in response to this moment in the history of the world. Wheatley has been a teacher, a consultant, an author, an expert on institutional change for decades. In this book, she uses two what she calls lenses, the science of living systems and the pattern of collapse of complex civilizations. The science of living systems, she argues, or the science of living systems argues, as she writes, that, quote, Living systems organize using dynamics that include self-organizing based on identity, relationships woven together in complex networks, an inherent order displayed in chaos and complexity, and the role of shared meaning to create coherent, non-policed action among individuals. The theory or lens holds that life's dynamics do not change and that in the face of a dominant culture that strives to interrupt them, we can commit ourselves to working to restore the dynamics of life. The second lens she uses is this pattern of collapse of complex civilizations. And that theory indicates that we are in a time of chaos and collapse. Quote, the pattern of collapse is remarkably consistent, describing how humans always behave, and it's good to understand where we are so we don't keep struggling against inevitable behaviors and it's grievous to see where we are because of what can't be changed. In the part that we read, Wheatley outlines the necessary conditions for life, one of which is, strikingly, membranes that create boundaries, boundaries that distinguish oneself from another, but boundaries that are also permeable enough that they can change, alter, adapt, evolve, and become. The membrane has to be both strong and flexible, rigid and open, Life depends on the creation of identity, and the continuity of life depends on the possibility of identity changing. The preservation of life depends on the shiftability of the identity of living things. She challenges us to observe this in our own lives, and I challenge you to actually give it a shot this week, in your own home, but also on the national stage. Some have argued that our current politics are the last gasps of a rigid white patriarchal system trying to preserve its privilege and power and thwart change. That rings true to me. Our system is collapsing, and there are many who are raging against that collapse and that change, and who, in their refusal to adapt and their determination to protect themselves and their privilege, will end up on the losing side of morality and history. And on the other side, you have folks who see the changes, demographic, religious, cultural, and who believe that that change can be a source of possibility, a way to improve and preserve life. This particular work by Wheatley isn't that cheery, so I caution you if you go to look for it. She flat out tells her readers that collapse is inevitable, 
Combined with the climate report that came out this week, it is easy to look to the future and see it as very bleak indeed. But Wheatley argues, and I would say that Gibran is really talking about this too, we can make choices, each of us as individuals, that even if there is an inevitability to certain things in the future, the collapse of American dominance, the devastating effects of climate change, we are still each unique individual beings who can choose to become. There's power and worth in that alone. We can choose to be and become people who go rigid in the face of the inevitability and fiddle while Rome is burning, or we can choose to be and become people who see the inevitability of certain things but don't allow that to overwhelm us, and who concern ourselves deeply always with the preservation of not just our own lives, but life with that capital L. If we choose to be people with moral and ethical grounding who grasp the changes the world is facing, but insist upon the beauty of life, the value of compassion, and the possibility always of something amazing, then we have to live every moment of our lives in every area of our lives with that deep commitment to affirming, being, and becoming. That means we have to love ourselves and each other deeply and truly. We have to embrace each other with all of our differences and challenges. It also means that we have to push ourselves and each other in every way. Push ourselves to give a little more, to be a little kinder, to listen more to center ourselves better and come from a place of groundedness. We have to push ourselves and each other to front always the question of who we want to be before we make any decisions we can't take back. Do we want to be generous? Do we want to be forgiving, respectful, healthfully boundaried? As individuals, we have a right and responsibility to figure out who we are, who we deeply are, apart from all the stuff we are told we should be. And we have a responsibility to love that self. We also have a right and a responsibility to imagine that we can always become more. Both of these are really hard. They are. Affirming being and imagining the possibilities of becoming are hard. But life has a yearning to be and to become. And what we will become is not written in stone. We have a choice. Our children have choices. How do we make it easier for each of us and for all of the children to be and to become? How do we make it easier to remove all of those interrupters? It starts with always reminding ourselves of the truth of Gibran's words and of Wheatley's that identity matters and we have no right to determine anyone else's identity for them. Then we make it easier when we decry privately and publicly the societal forces that would box us in. We begin to remove those interrupters when we share stories of times we were able to live our lives completely by our values, completely as we are. When we tell the stories of other people who give up, who give up personal privilege and power and self-preservation in favor of the preservation of life in the greatest sense. Thank you, Sally. We remove those barriers to each person's whole being and becoming. When we become promoters in every moment, of affirmation and possibility. We change the way of things when we commit ourselves also to doing our own work of being our beloved selves and visioning who we can still yet become. May each of us commit ourselves completely to the vow 
that we will, to the best of our ability, extend to ourselves and to others kindness and courage, learning to and teaching others to love justice and live compassionately, and always encouraging ourselves and others to become who we are meant to be. So may it be.